let God transform your life as you listen to this inspiring sermon by Reverend Richard C. Whitcomb. I go, I go, I go. Aha. Uh-huh. Once upon a time, there was a great and mighty king named Alexander the Great. He ruled over a vast kingdom, for he had conquered many nations. He was rich beyond imagination. He couldn't even count the amount of gold and silver and precious jewels in his treasury. One day, King Alexander the Great decided to go out on horseback with his army to survey his kingdom. So he mounted his chariot, surrounded by soldiers on horses. And as they rode down the road, they happened upon a place where a poor poor beggar man sat by the road begging. When the poor beggar man saw King Alexander the Great coming, he jumped up and did something surprising. He rushed out to the middle of the road and started waving his hands and shouting, Oh King, oh King, I have something to ask of you. Well, the soldiers were alarmed. They raised their swords to defend the king and the chariot stopped. The captain of the king's soldiers said, Your majesty, shall I punish this wicked man for stopping us on the road? Then the king said, Let me hear what he has to say. So the poor beggar man stood before him and said, Your majesty, your royal highness, your excellency, your everything, everything, I beg you, please give me 100 gold coins. 100 gold coins? Hey, Abba! No, Miss Martino, a hundred gold coins is worth a fortune. Everybody was shocked. Then the soldiers became angry. They raised their swords. They said, how dare you, you poor beggar man. You are nothing. You are insignificant. You come to dare to ask this great king for a hundred gold coins. Who do you think you are? Then King Alexander the Great looked at the bigger man. He looked at the soldiers and he said, bring this man to my palace. So they bundled the bigger man up. They threw him on the back of a horse and they rode off to the palace. When they all gathered there, King Alexander the Great sat on his throne, surrounded by his soldiers and his advisors. The poor bigger man stood alone before him and everyone expected King Alexander to decree punishment upon this man for stopping him and making such a ludicrous and ridiculous request. But to everyone's shock and amazement, King Alexander the Great said, bring the keeper of my treasure. Tell him to bring 100 gold coins, for I have decided to grant this man his request. There was silence. Then everyone started talking. What was the king thinking? Why would he give this poor beggar man a hundred gold coins? The prime minister stepped forward and said, Your majesty, we would gladly comply, but don't you think you're being excessive? This man is nothing. He is nobody. He's even rude to ask you for anything. And to ask for this huge amount is ridiculous. Please give him a coin and let him go. And then Alexander the Great said, oh, my friend, you are mistaken. This man has not insulted me by his request. He has honored me. For in his bold request, he shows faith 
in my ability to grant his request. In his bold request, he shows his belief in my mercy and my generosity. By asking of such a huge amount, he shows that he believes in me and my majesty and my greatness. Grant him his request for his faith in me has given me favor for him today. And everyone was surprised, but they gave the beggar man the hundred gold coins and everyone in the kingdom learned a lesson that we all need to learn today. Great faith captures the attention of the king. Great faith provokes the favor of the mighty. You see, there's a powerful lesson for all of us in the fable of the poor beggar man and King Alexander the Great. When you have great faith in God, when you believe in his ability, when you come with big, bold, brave faith, it attracts the attention of the king and grants his favor. If you want God to favor you, it begins with you having faith in him. For the first step to God's favor is big, bold and brave faith. That's the powerful lesson in our sermon today. We're going to discover how as we've entered a new month, we can also enter a new level of favor. It begins today, right now, right here. As you take a step of faith, you will see God's favor come upon you. But before we learn more, let's bow our heads and pray. Almighty and everlasting Father, we come boldly before you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. We come not because of who we are, but because of who you are. We come not based upon our ability, but based upon your majesty. And we dare to stand before you because the blood of Jesus Christ speaks for all of us today. We come in the name that is above every other name. And we ask you to teach us. We ask you to move in us. We ask you to direct us. We ask you to give us a revelation and miracles and favor and blessings today. As we seek you, we pray you open the windows of heaven and do something dramatic in our lives and in our church in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. I submit to you now. I bind every voice of the devil that would come to deceive or disturb or distract us. And in the name of the Lord Jesus, I loose the power of the Holy Spirit, the power to enlighten us, the power to give us grace, the power to transform us and make us people who change our world. We thank you by faith that you will give us favor today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. I invite you to join your faith with mine. Put your hand on your chest and pray after me. Lord Jesus, speak to my heart. Change my life. Manifest your glory in me. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Welcome to Agape House. It's great to have you here today. We're entering a new level of favor. I believe that God's favor is upon us, and we're going to find out today, beginning today and all through this month, how we can activate God's favor in our lives. And we're celebrating God's favor because God has blessed our church. So I'm beginning a new sermon series today called The Favor Factor. And throughout this month, we're looking at the five factors that we can incorporate 
incorporate in our lives that attract God's favor. Because there's no doubt his favor has been upon us as a church. It is God that has built this church. And we give him the glory and we give him the honor. And we want to take some time to praise him and also to revisit our foundation and look at the principles God has established in us which have allowed us to receive his favor. See, it's not by accident that Agape House is here today where it is. We began 16 years ago in my home here in East Legon with about 29 people. And here we are today numbering in the thousands with four services. That's the favor of God. It's not coincidence. It's not an accident. It's the blessing of God. But there are things that God established in us which have attracted his favor. See, favor from God doesn't come because you wear a nice white suit. Favor from God doesn't come because of certain things that you say or do. The Bible makes it clear that there are specific factors that you can incorporate into your life that will attract the favor of God. And so there are specific things we can do and we need to revisit those as we celebrate God's favor. We need to capture again the vision he's given to our church and the principles that have carried us thus far. That's why this is Vision Weekend. And I loose and release unto you new vision today, new sight in the spirit to follow Jesus and see what lies ahead. If you believe it, say amen. Now, to help us discover that truth for today, we printed sermon notes. They look like this. They're in your bulletin. You can download them online. So go ahead and take out your notes as we discover today the factors in the faith you need that will attract God's favor. There at the top of your notes and on the screen is our scripture text for today that teaches us that faith attracts the favor of God. In fact, the more faith you have, the more favor you have. The first step to favor is faith. So I want us to read this passage aloud from Hebrews 11.6. Let's read it all together. Read it like you mean it. Read it with faith. Are you ready? Here we go. Three, two, one, go. A man cannot please God unless he has faith. Anyone who comes to God must believe that he is. That one must also know that God gives what is promised to the one who keeps on looking for him. May the Lord bless the reading of his word to your heart today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Think carefully about what the apostle Paul is teaching us here in this simple verse about faith. He says that faith is the stepping stone into the favor of God. You can't please God. You cannot attract his favor. You cannot make God happy unless you begin with the foundation of faith. You've got to believe that God is who he says he is and he will do what he says he will do. So the type of faith that you need that will invoke the favor of God is seen today in our text from an ordinary man named Nehemiah. We're going to study this man from the Old Testament who was just an ordinary man but somehow he attracted the favor of God. And as we see his faith and follow his example, we too will enter a new realm of favor. If you believe it, say amen. So what made Nehemiah a man who attracted God's favor with his faith? Well, first of all, he had a faith that attracts God's favor, beginning with a big vision. Big vision. Everybody say big vision. The type of faith that attracts God's favor has a big vision. Now, this is especially unique about Nehemiah because Nehemiah was an ordinary man. He wasn't someone that stood out in society. He was an ordinary man with an extraordinary vision. Listen to what Nehemiah says about himself in chapter 1, verse 11 of the book of Nehemiah. He says, I was cupbearer 
to the king. That means he was a waiter. He went and served drink at Flagstaff House or Jubilee House. He was not a prophet, not a priest, not a king. He was not an evangelist or a teacher or a pastor. But not only was Nehemiah just an ordinary waiter, worse than that, he was actually a captive who was a prisoner of war, taken captive and made a slave in the house of the conquering king. For the Bible lets us know that the people of Israel had backslidden and God sent the nation of Persia to punish them. And Persia came in and destroyed Israel and destroyed Jerusalem and carried the people away captive. And Nehemiah was one of those who'd been taken captive. So Nehemiah was a slave in the house of a pagan king pouring drinks for the man. Yet the amazing thing is Nehemiah went from ordinary to extraordinary. He went from a slave in the house of a pagan king to becoming someone who changed the world. In fact, he was used by God to restore the nation of Israel. There's a book in the Bible named after him. Is there a book of the Bible named after you? He had a book of the Bible named after him, Nehemiah. Hey. And if God could use an ordinary man like Nehemiah, if God could use a cupbearer who was a slave in the house of the pagan king, what will God do with you? What greater thing will God do? If you will follow Nehemiah's example of faith, God can raise you up to change the world as well. If you believe it, say amen. And here's the first factor of faith in Nehemiah's life. He had a big vision. In spite of his circumstances, in spite of his surrounding, in spite of what had happened to him, he embraced God's big vision for your life. We can see this truth in chapter 2, verse 4, when Nehemiah declares his vision publicly. He went to the king and says, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. So wait a minute. Here's a slave a waiter in the palace of a pagan king coming and asking for permission to go back and rebuild the city of Jerusalem. That's a big vision. That's like a small child talking about building a mighty highway. That's like someone insignificant talking about taking over and changing a nation. But in that statement, we see Nehemiah's big vision for he had heard that Jerusalem was in ruins. He was not a builder or an architect, but he said, if God will use me, I will step up and rebuild the city. And in rebuilding the city, it represented rebuilding the nation and restoring the glory of God. And I'm here to declare to you today in the very same way that God gave Nehemiah a big vision, you too can have a big vision for your life. You may not be a prophet, you may not be a pastor, but God wants to use you to minister to others. God wants to use you to do something great in this nation. God wants to use Use you to change this generation. My God has a big vision for your life. He wants to use you right here at Agape House to rescue orphan children, to reach the lost, to save those who are drowning. He wants to use you to make an impact in our generation. If you believe it, say amen. On outward appearance, Nehemiah was not the right person. He was unqualified for such a great task. He wasn't a builder. He wasn't an architect. He wasn't a leader. But Nehemiah possessed a big vision because he knew something about God that we need to know today. And that's this. God uses ordinary people. 
God takes ordinary people from places that seem impossible and raises them up to do world-changing acts. He does it so that when it's accomplished, he will receive the glory. God wants to use you to make a difference in this world, not because of who you are, but because of who he is. And when you yield yourself to him every day, he will use you to make a difference. That's the powerful lesson we can learn from the amazing true story of a man in the UK named Joe Campbell. Back on April 30th, 1994, 30-year-old Joe Campbell was walking down the street of London when he passed a London phone booth. He looked at the phone booth and saw something lying on the ground in the phone booth. It was a package. At first, he thought it was a discarded bag of chips, but when he looked closer, he saw that it was actually a newborn baby wrapped in a blanket. Joe looked up and down the street and saw no one and realized the baby had been abandoned. So he went in the phone book booth and picked up the child. He called the police and they came together with social services and rushed the child to the hospital. Doctors determined the child was about two hours old. The umbilical cord was still attached, and the mother had left the child without any trace. Joe Campbell, an ordinary man on an ordinary night, had saved the life of a child. Well, the Department of Social Welfare took the child and eventually found adoptive parents, but Joe Campbell was able to keep this one picture of himself holding the baby named Kieran. He didn't consider himself a hero. He thought, well, anyone would have done what I did. I'm just an ordinary guy. But to Kieran, Joe Campbell was her hero. To Kieran, Joe Campbell was the man who rescued her. And so on July of 2016, 22 years after Joe Campbell rescued baby Kieran, Joe Campbell got a phone call. It was Kieran Sheik. She was now an adult with a child of her own. And she said, I want to meet you. I want to thank you in person. So on July 27, 2016, Joe and Kieran met again after 22 years from when he picked her up on the ground. Listen to what Kieran Sheik said. He says anyone would have done what he did, but they wouldn't, Kieran said. It's so amazing to have been reunited with him. He is my hero. An ordinary man in an everyday situation had the chance to make a difference, and he did. He wasn't a likely hero, but he stepped up and did what he could, and he changed a life. And there's a powerful lesson for all of us in the true story of Joe Campbell, because I believe God wants to use you and you and you every day in this world right now to make a difference, even as you go about your work, even as you travel here and there, even as you take care of your family and do the ordinary things God wants to give you opportunities to make an impact and to change a life. And I'm here to declare to you, God is going to use you. God is going to raise you up. You may look ordinary in the eyes of the world, but you can be a hero in the eyes of somebody that God uses you to touch. For the fact is God uses the unqualified so that when he uses them, the glory will go to him and they will boast in him. That's what the apostle Paul teaches us in 1 Corinthians 1. Listen carefully. Brothers, 
brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Nudge your neighbor and say, he's talking about you. Not many of you were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. That's why he chose me. Hallelujah. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. That's why he chose me. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord and I'm here to declare to you today I am boasting in the Lord and this church is boasting in the Lord because we weren't anything special and we weren't somebody qualified but God reached down and touched us and he will do the same in your life you may be inferior you may feel insecure you may not be someone viewed as powerful or mighty in society but God wants to raise you and use you if you believe it say amen for your confidence is not in who you are your Confidence is in who God is. And when you belong to God, then you can be someone God uses. That's why Paul continues and says in 2 Corinthians 10, 7, we belong to Christ. Paul was confident not in his education, not in his pedigree, not in his connections. Paul was confident that he belonged to God. And if Paul could be confident because he belonged to God, you can be confident too. For you see, the Bible says God has chosen every one of us to use us. Whether you're rich or poor, black or white, male or female, young or old, educated or illiterate, God wants to use you and he's given you a gift for his glory. For Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. Somebody say all of us. Then verse 7, he says, a spiritual gift is given to each of us. Somebody say each of us so we can help each other. God has given you a gift. He's given you a calling. He's chosen to use you in the ordinary everyday life. He works in us and puts his spirit in us. And we need to open our eyes to the big vision God has for us. You see, the fact is, God has options and he chose you anyway. Don't you know God has options? There are six billion people in the world. Six billion and he chose you. Six billion people, and he put a gift in you. You know, if you don't have any other options, you're, you're stuck with what remains. But when you have options and you choose, you always choose the one that you know you can use. And God chose you. Put your hand on your chest say, God chose me. He had options, but he chose me. I remember when I was in high school. Don't tell my wife. I was in high school. And at the end of the school year, we always had a party called the prom. And all the boys and girls would get dressed up and they would go and dance. But in my day, a girl could not go to the prom alone. She had to be asked by a boy. So all the girls were always waiting for a boy to ask them to the prom. Well, I was very shy in high school. Believe it or not, I was shy. I'm, I'm shy, yeah especially with the ladies. So in my junior year, my third year, I wanted to go to the prom, but I was so shy. So it took me a long time, took me months to raise the courage. But there was a young lady named Natalie, and I really wanted to ask her to the prom. So after months and months, the time of the prom was almost at hand. And finally, I got the courage. I went to Natalie. I said, Natalie, I want to go to the prom with you. And she looked at me and she said, well, no one else has asked me. So I guess I'm stuck with you. 
don't tell my wife. She said, you're better than nothing. The relationship didn't last. When you don't have options, you're left with leftovers. But God has options and he chose you. You're not God's second choice. You're not God's plan B. You are chosen by God and gifted by God. That's why you can have a big vision for your life. God is going to use you. God is going to anoint you. God is raising you up to change the world. Your confidence comes from belonging to Jesus. Your confidence and courage is not in your name. It's in his name. It's not in your pedigree or your ability. It's in God. And I'm here to tell you today, you are anointed. You are empowered. You are equipped. You are are blessed, you are called, and you are chosen. I don't know why you can't get excited today, because I'm here to tell you that God has set you on a path to make a difference in this world. He set you on a path to change this generation. He's raising you up like Nehemiah to make a difference, to rebuild and restore, and you will not fail. You will not go back. You will not be defeated. The enemy cannot stop you. God is raising you up and using you for his glory, so open your eyes and get a big vision, for when God says yes, no man can say no. You can't be defeated. You can't be eliminated. You can't be pushed aside and ignored. You are chosen and called by God. And the same thing that's true about you is true about our church. Agape House is here to stay. We are making an impact. He's chosen us and the gates of hell will not prevail against us. And I'm stirred today because God has given us a big vision and we're getting ready to move into a new realm of favor. If you believe it, shout hallelujah. Hallelujah. And that brings us to our second truth today. Faith that attracts God's favor. Praise bold prayers. Turn your notes over to page two and consider that Nehemiah's big vision led him to pray a very bold prayer. Listen to what he prayed to God in chapter one, verse 11. He said, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servants success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. This is what Nehemiah was praying. Lord, favor me. I'm going to go before the king. I'm going to make a bold petition. And Nehemiah had the courage and the faith to be bold in asking God. Then he went to the king and this is what he said to the king. Your majesty, I ask you to send me back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city. I'm asking you to send soldiers to guard me. I'm asking you to send letters of authority. And I'm asking you to send money to rebuild Jerusalem. Hey, that's bold. Are you getting me? A slave who was a prisoner of war was asking the king who had conquered his nation to let him go back and give him money to rebuild the city that the king had destroyed. This is like going to NDC and asking them to build a secretariat for NPP. Hello. This is like going to Manchester United and asking them to build a new stadium for Chelsea. This is like asking North Korea to supply arms to their enemies in South Korea. He was going to the enemy and asking him to do something to rebuild the nation he'd conquered. That is a bold prayer. It's seen in the prayer Nehemiah prayed, give me success. It's faith in action, asking for something greater than he had any right 
to expect. But here's the truth you need to pack up and take home with you. God responds to the voice of faith. That's why I declare to you today, it's time for us to rise. I'm tired of praying silly prayers and low-class prayers. I'm tired of praying, oh Lord, I pray you give me a new car, a new iPad. I'm asking that God will give me this nation. I'm asking us to arise in faith and ask God to give us East Legon. I'm asking for souls. I'm asking for impact. I'm asking that we will do the very thing that the enemy tried to stop us from doing. I'm asking a big, bold prayer because I have a big, bold faith. For you see, I thank God for every everything he's done, but God is not finished yet. There is still greater things ahead. And I'm stepping out in bold faith to declare to you the next 16 years of our church will surpass the first 16. We will look back and see that what God did in the first 16 was small compared to what he does in the coming 16 years. We started in my house in East Legon with about 29 people, but now we number in the thousands. But it's my prayer that in the next 16 years, we will number in the tens of thousands. It's my prayer that God will make East Legon the center of Christianity in Africa. As we continue out on the streets, it's my prayer that every prostitute on Lagos Avenue will be saved and cleansed and there will no longer be prostitutes on Lagos Avenue. I believe that Ghana will become the success story of economic policy in Africa. It is my prayer that Agape members will be on the forefront to lift our nation and lift our continent. We will be the inventors, the educators, the leaders, the judges, the politicians, the corporate leaders. God will raise up an anointed people at Agape House that we will make a difference in our nation. I believe God for our church to become a leading church in Africa. Heart Song will lead Africa in worship. Our media team will create television shows and film shows that will win people to Christ. Our programs will become a model for other churches. Our Agape kids will lead the continent in leading the next generation to Jesus Christ. I believe we will complete our construction project and make more room for God to groove. I believe that every member will become a minister. Agape members will go out into society and lay hands on the sick and they will be healed. They will prophesy and do great miracles, signs and wonders. And people will say, are you a pastor? No, I'm just a member at Agape House. I believe God. We will continue to open churches throughout Ghana. We'll continue to open churches throughout the world. For I believe in greater things. I have a big vision and a bold prayer today. Somebody say amen. And some of you sit there and say, "Ah, don't you know the economy is bad? But my faith is not in the economy. My faith is in God. My faith is not in who is at Jubilee House. My faith is in the one who sits on the throne of heaven. My faith is not in what anybody says. My faith is the unchanging promise of the unchanging God who said, yes, I will use you to change this nation and change this generation. I'm not praying for a handful of souls. I'm praying for a harvest, a multitude, a glorious infilling that Jesus will be glorified. I'm praying for generations to be changed you say well you got to face the facts my faith faces the facts and my faith 
overcomes the facts. You see, faith is not denying reality. It's facing reality and overcoming by faith. That's what Abraham did. Listen to Romans 4. It says, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact. Say he faced the fact. He faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he promised. And see, friends, we've got to realize that faith cannot fix what you will not face. But the Bible says in verse 19, he faced the facts. And sometimes the first step to getting change is to face the facts. Our economy is broken. Our government is in ruins. Our nation is going down. Our families are hurting. Our people are lost. Our people are hungry. Our children are being lost. But my faith faces that reality and believes God for change. And my faith can fix it because my faith can face it. And when we face it with faith, we change things around us and we change ourselves. In verse 18, the Bible teaches us that believing always leads to becoming. Abraham believed, so he became the father of many nations. And when you believe, you'll become. When you believe that God will use you, you'll become someone God uses. When you believe that God will use you to change our nation, you'll become a leader in this nation that changes the nation. When you believe that God will use you to make an impact in this generation, you'll become a person who makes an impact in this generation. That's what Nehemiah did. He believed God. He faced the problem, and he prayed a bold prayer. But not only that, he took action. And that's our third truth. Faith that attracts God's favor takes brave action. Listen to verse 17 of chapter 2. Then Nehemiah said to them, you see the trouble we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. So Nehemiah had a big vision he prayed a bold prayer, but it wasn't enough. He had to step out and take brave action. The king granted him his request, and Nehemiah went to Jerusalem. They were surrounded by enemies. The wall had been torn down. The city had been burnt. There was nothing positive that he could see, but Nehemiah took action and said, let's get up and build. Let's get up and rebuild the wall. He went to Jerusalem and got into the action. He didn't need permission. He didn't take a vote. He didn't wait for popular opinion. He acted. And if you wait for ideal conditions, you will never get anything done. If you wait for people to approve, you will miss your destiny. If you wait till everything's perfect, you'll ne never get anything done. So here's the truth you need to pack up and take home with you. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is doing the right thing even if you feel afraid. You may be facing obstacles right now. You may be feeling afraid about your economic condition. You may be just like Nehemiah, feeling inadequate or insecure. You may look at your past and think that you've blown it and God can never use you again. But God speaks to you today. For no matter what has happened in the past, God is ready to move you in the future. No matter the lack you face, God is ready to supply. No matter the hardship you've been through, God is ready to overflow in your life. He stands here today and says, let's enter a new level of favor. Let's enter a new level of faith. 
faith. Let's move to the next level and see what I will do in your life. For you see, the children of Israel faced the same situation we face. They had failed. They were delivered from Egypt and sent to the promised land, but they disobeyed God. They lacked faith. They doubted God's promise. And for 40 years, they wandered around in the wilderness. But in that time of desolation, in that time of hardship, God toughened them. God made them different. They were changed and transformed. And they stood one day at the edge of the river Jordan, ready to go into the promised land. And this is what God spoke to them from Deuteronomy. Be strong and courageous. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. And I hear the voice of the Holy Spirit saying to you today, no matter what has happened in the past, I am with you. I am going ahead of you. You may have been in the wilderness for 40 years. The whole of this year may have been struggle and trouble, but God says, I'm taking you forward. I'm taking you in. I'm making you stronger and I am with you and I will go ahead of you. Your enemy will not defeat you, but you will prevail in the name of Jesus Christ. So rise up in faith and take that step today. Tackle the task ahead and act bravely, for God has chosen you to succeed. He did not put his gift in you to waste that gift. He didn't put a gift in you just so that it would be useless and idle. You may have been wandering in the wilderness, but God said it's time to move forward. See, friends, here's the truth you need to take home with you. Sometimes it's what God withholds from us in one season of life that pushes us to do greater things later in life. And you may have struggled, you may have had a hard time, but let God use that to toughen you and build your faith so that you will succeed in the next season. That's the lesson we can learn from Jim Thorpe, perhaps one of the greatest athletes to ever compete in the Olympic Games. Jim Thorpe was raised so poor it's difficult to imagine. He was born in 1887 when he was 16 years old. His two parents both died and he was left orphaned. Because he had so little, Jim Thorpe was forced to work harder than other people and grow stronger than others. Through his adversity, he developed resilience and determination that made him tough. And through his hard work and determination, Jim Thorpe succeeded in getting on the United States Olympic team to go to the Olympics held in Sweden in 1912. But then, in the middle of the competition, right before his big final race, something terrible happened. Someone stole Jim Thorpe's athletic shoes. Without athletic shoes, how could he run the race? How could he possibly compete? It seemed as if his dream was over. But Jim Thorpe had become tough. By lacking in one season, he had what it took to make courageous actions in the next season. So Jim Thorpe went out one night and went to the rubbish dump and started looking for shoes. He found a shoe. It was worn out and too big, but it was a shoe. He would use it. He searched and found a second shoe. It didn't match the first one. It was too big and worn out, but it was a shoe. He would use it. He took them back and cleaned them up. He stuffed stockings into the toes of the shoes and made them fit his feet. And he wore worn out shoes to win two Olympic gold medals. He set a world record. He set a world record in the pentathlon and the decathlon using worn out 
misfitting secondhand shoes. When King Gustav of Sweden put the medals around his neck, he said, you, sir, are the greatest athlete in the world, not just because of his physical prowess, but because of his courage. For his obstacles didn't stop him. They pushed him to greatness. You're facing obstacles. There are difficulties all around you. But let God push them in you to push you to greatness. Let those difficulties get you on your knees. For God didn't bring them to stop you. He brought them to strengthen you. He may have withheld something for a season, but he's getting ready to take you to the promised land. If only you'll have a big vision, a bold prayer, and brave action. This is the last day your weakness will be an excuse. This is the last day your physical limitations will be used to hinder you from doing something great. For God has chosen you to make a difference. And I see you empowered. I see you equipped. I see you anointed. I see you enabled. I see you rising up in faith. I see God's hand upon you. I see his spirit overflowing in you. I see you rescuing lives and encouraging the saints. I see you saving souls and being used by God. I see you walking in the spirit. So get up today and act. Nehemiah made a difference in his life. There's a book of the Bible named after him. He restored Israel because he had a big vision and bold prayers and brave action. And when you follow his footsteps, you too can enter a new level of faith and a new level of favor. You can pray like Nehemiah did. Remember this in my favor, O oh God, when you have a big vision, bold prayers, and brave action. Father, in the name of Jesus, move upon your people today. Open our eyes to see, Lord, the vision that you have for us. Take away the blinders. Take away the barriers. Take away the excuses today that we've made for why we can't be used or can't do something for you. Open our eyes and give us a vision. Lord, we're asking for a, a great vision, Lord, to grip each and every one of us. A vision that will reach East Legon. A vision that will salvage Ghana. A vision that will transform Africa. A vision that will impact this generation. Lord, use us mightily and encourage us to make bold prayers. Lord, we're like the baker on the roadside, but we're asking you for a hundred gold coins. We're asking you for a thousand gold coins. We're asking you to do exceeding abundantly above all we could ask or think and give us the courage today, not based on our circumstances, but based on our faith in you. Let our big vision and our bold prayers spark courage in us to get up and take brave action. Let us do what you've called us to do. Let us make a difference. Father, I pray that every one of us this week will have the opportunity to speak your truth to someone. We have an opportunity to share with someone, to give to someone, to lift someone, to help someone. Use us like Joe Campbell. Give us a determination like Jim Thorpe. Change us and touch us, God, for you have chosen us. We're not your second choice. We're not your last choice. You are chosen us, oh God. 
and we thank you and we praise you today. So come and move in us and transform us that your name will be glorified, that lives will be transformed, and that we will accomplish your purposes in this generation. We give you the praise. We give you the glory. We give you the honor today in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. God bless you for listening to this message. Reverend Richard C. Whitcomb is the senior pastor of Agape House New Testament Church in East Legon. If you are ever in Accra, we would like you to worship with us on Saturday night at 6 p.m. or on Sunday at 7.30 a.m., 9.30 a.m., and 11.30 a.m. You will have an awesome experience.